0: begin our message this morning, which actually somewhat related to this, from the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, so uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the fact that we have such freedom here in America today, and we do pray for uh, the rest of the church in the world that uh, is under uh, persecution, even as we meet here this morning, and we bless them in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, this morning you would give us a revelation of what it means for us to be faithful even unto death, in our context, here in the United States of America. And we offer you our hearts, Uh, teach us by your word, open it up to us, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, go with me to Revelation chapter 2, please. And we're in a series, in a book of Revelation, and we're at the second church of the seven churches to which the book was written. Now, as this video just pointed out, over 40... Nations, in 40 nations today, Christians are actually persecuted for their faith, from Sudan to Colombia. We actually know in our congregation in Spanish, in Corona, uh, pastors who've been killed in Colombia for their faith by the guerrillas getting caught in a crossfire, from Indonesia to Palestinian Christians to Egypt. But the more Christians have died for their faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. That's been reported more than once over the last 10, 15 years. Now, this book was written in revelation to a church in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, that was under intense persecution. And it was written between uh, 68 and 95 AD. And uh, they're under what the... There's a word in Revelation called philipsis, the Greek word. And if those of you from uh, Greece here, forgive me for destroying the pronunciation, you know. But the word philipsis is the word for affliction or in, intense pressure. And as we're going to read in just a few minutes about the church in Smyrna. They're under particularly intense pressure. Uh, actually, it can be translated crushing pressure. And it's a church that's suffering... And what Jesus says, he comes in and says, I want you to see it from, from heaven's perspective. Because you're just looking at things from an earthly perspective, and you've got to get it now from heaven. And uh, because he, he's talking to a church that is suffering, and many of you in this room are suffering to various degrees. And he wants them to understand that that the way that the kingdom advances is through death. And that Jesus came became a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, but it was through his death, there was a victory over the powers of evil. And the same way the church is called somehow through our suffering and obedience that as we walk that road, the kingdom of God advances and evil is conquered, not by military might, not by economic might, by this, this thing called suffering and uh, the cross and, and death. And, and uh, that the faithful witness of these believers in Asia Minor, he's saying that their faithful witness to Jesus, their and actually sometimes their death, is instrumental in actually bringing people to Christ entire nations, and that will do more to bring the nations to Christ than even judgments. It's a very interesting theme as we go through the book. Now, put a put couple of verses up. Now, you, this text we're going to read, this is our, our theme this morning, is the church were to faithful unto death. So I want you to get that theme in your head as we move through this morning. But uh, there's, a, there's a few verses that you probably read at different times, and, and it's, just, it's this, this thing of, like Paul writes in Philippians 1, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. As if it's like a gift. said, "Well, what, what is he talking about here? And the next one, Michael. I just, I just picked out a couple. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, and heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may sh- also share in his glory. Put the verse up, Romans 8. And that there's this theme throughout the, the New Testament that when you become a believer, it's granted to you not just to believe, but also it's a gift as a child and an heir to also you're going to suffer for his namesake. And the uh, next one. And it says in 2 Timothy 3, that everyone, no exceptions, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You say, I don't, I don't feel persecuted at all. But the, the New Testament is very clear on this theme about suffering and persecution that comes to all believers on some level. And so while we are not right now running for our lives, obviously, here in uh, New York, uh, but there is a, an element of application of this text to us even where we're living today. And so my prayer is that we're going to get an insight on what's he talking about in these texts, which again, which is a theme of the entire New Testament and is a major theme in the book of Revelation. And again, I hope you're reading it in your spare time as we move through the book. All right. Now, Smyrna is a, was a city in uh, east of Ephesus, about 40 miles. And it was a very beautiful city, very proud city, very wealthy city. And they had a very famous theater and library and state, stadium. And it was called First in Asia in Beauty and Size. And so... Uh, the, the city of Smyrna was also famous because they were very devoted to Rome. They were the first city in the empire that, uh, almost 200 years before Christ, they built the first temple to the emperor of Rome, him being divine. And they actually won this great contest uh, about the time of Jesus. Uh, but they beat out all, Kind of like all the cities here fight to be the Olympics. We want to have the Olympics in New York. Well, the cities of Asia were fighting to be the city that would build the big temple to Tiberius, the emperor. And Smyrna won. What a city. And uh, they felt very, very attached to Rome. And then on top of that, so you got a city that, that's very loyal to Rome and the empire, and also you have a Jewish synagogue that's going to be mentioned in this text, which we're going to read in just a moment. And they've actually found in, uh, in their archaeology and their discoveries and excavations of the city uh, indications or, or uh, carvings to Zeus and Hermes, the Greek gods. And so most scholars believe that even during this time that the Jewish synagogue had gotten mixed in with uh, Greek mythology, and it was kind of like a, a compromising, a mixing in of the Jewish synagogue along with the whole Roman Greek culture, and uh, and so it's this combination of this fiercely loyal city of Rome, you've got a Jewish synagogue that apparently is all kind of mixed in with you know Hellenism, they all come against the church in full force, and so what you have here is we're going to read this text, is a church under intense pressure, and they're being slandered, uh, they've lost jobs, uh, they're they being denounced to the authorities, and there's active hostility against them. Now, remember, Christianity at this time is not legal, uh, and persecution is coming, it's not really fully there yet, but it's coming in force, and Jesus is, is warning them and preparing them. So, uh, with that said, let's begin reading in verse, it's only four verses, chapter 2, verse 8, but they're so packed, again, because of the themes of the whole book that they carry. Verse 8, chapter 2 of Revelation. To the, church, to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These are the words of him who is the first and the last. Remember that theme, the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions. That's the word for thalipsis. I know your intense pressure, the crushing pressure you're under, and your poverty, yet you are Rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Underline that word, second death. Very key phrase. So he says to them, again, verse 9, he goes, I know your afflictions. I know, I know about your pressure you're under. And some of you in this room are under a lot of pressure. I know your poverty. Now, this, he's talking about economic poverty. These are folks who have, uh, we don't know all the details, but they're, they're, maybe their, their property was confiscated. They lost their jobs. Uh, but it's very tough to make a living in a city when you're on the run. And when you're discriminated against. And so as a result of their faith, they are, the word for poverty there is very poor. So it's hitting their pocketbook. And the Jesus, I want you to know something. You may, it may look like you're poor and they're rich, but no, no, you don't understand. They're poor and you're rich. And, uh, he says, behind, in verse 9, behind all this opposition, understand there is demonic powers that are out to crush you. And he goes, you're gonna suffer even more. Verse 10, he goes, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. You're going to suffer for ten days. And he gives a kind of a time limit there. We're not sure exactly what the ten days is. But uh, it's a limited amount of time. And he goes, but he says this. And here's the line. I want you to underline it in your Bibles. He goes, be faithful even to the point of death. That's, the, that's our theme for this morning. Be faithful even to the point of death. Or as the message translates it, don't quit. Even if it costs you your life. And so this, this letter... Uh, th- th- that's what it means, he's saying, to overcome. To him who overcomes, who will not be hurt at all by the second death. What does it mean to overcome? It's to be faithful, even to the point of death. And that's what we're going to expand on, on this morning. Now remember, this, this letter was written to a church at a particular period of time, but it was also written for all the churches of the time of the Apostle John when he wrote it. And it's written for all of us, all through history. And... Uh, because just like they were under enormous pressure of slander and economic pressure and all of that and all the full force of the military, political, Roman Empire was falling on them uh, and were, everyone around them is prospering and doing great they've got new homes and new retirement accounts and everyone's living peacefully and joyfully and their kids are in the best schools and their jobs are moving up the ladder these Christians are not and because of their faith they're suffering they're under pressure and uh, the temptation to quit is enormous. Have you ever felt the temptation to quit? And Jesus says here, you be faithful, or, don't quit, even unto death. Again, look, be faithful even to the point of death. Now, this really hits the central message, or a couple, there's a number of central messages in the book of Revelation. But there's really, I'm going to expound on this in two ways that are kind of themes through the book. And it, the best way I can feel like we can get at it. And uh, this is so difficult for us to hear in America. I mean, American Christianity is just so far from this text that it's almost hard to get a handle on it because of how and where we live in the wealthiest country, the most prosperous, comfortable nation the world has ever known. And we're in the middle of it. And uh, so what does it mean to be faithful even to the point of death? Uh, And what he's going to say to them is you've got to see things from heaven's perspective. Now... So hang with me, I'm going to kind of give you two truths that are how to conquer, what it means to be faithful, even unto death. And then, by God's grace, we will uh, you know, step up to the plate. So let's put the first one up, Michael. And he says this. He goes, we conquer by bearing witness to the truth over and against the lies of the beast. Now, remember, the beast is the symbol given in, in this book for the pagan Roman Empire. And so he did a beast quite a bit, especially at the end of the book. And... So the beast and behind the beast are demonic powers that seek to crush and destroy the church. So what he says to this he goes listen Smyrna Christians in this church I want you to understand that that the way you're going to conquer is by bearing witness to the truth over and against the lies and the propaganda machine of the beast. Of this pagan surround society that surrounds you and wants to crush you. Now, you, 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 this theme of, of contrasting truth and lies runs through the whole book. About the church, we're the ones who bear witness to what is true. And that the beast flushes out lies. And seeks to get believers to not testify verbally to what is true. But rather to quit and come over to the lies of the beast. And there is no compromise between the two. There's either one or there's the other in the book. And so you've got these themes. Michael took this, you know, of these, um, you know, the dragon deceives the whole world. Uh, the second beast is two beasts. It deceives the world with its propaganda against the beast in chapter 13. Babylon deceives all the nations with her magic spells in chapter 18. So you've got this theme of the beast and Babylon and the demonic. Feeding the world lies and 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 trickery and propaganda. If you could think of advertising, just bombarding us day and night with messages about what is true in life, and that gives a sense of the scale that was coming at this church here. And they're saying Jesus and Jesus is a lie. We talk Jesus. Who's Jesus? And Paul says to them. I mean John says to them. You be faithful even unto death. You bear witness to the truth, over and against the lies of the beast regardless of what it costs you, even if it costs you your very life. Now, because the followers of Jesus, Jesus is called, in in, uh, chapter 3, verse verse 14, Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. Now, I'm going to do a little word study with you, alright? The word for witness is the word we have for martyr today, in Greek. And it's translated testimony, you'll see in just a few minutes. But it's a very important word study, this word... To witness, to, to speak and stand for what is true. Now, it did not mean to die for your faith, okay, until later in history. But, because the word martyr means simply to testify or to witness to what is true, to not be shut down. And uh, Jesus is called a faithful and true witness in chapter 3. In the same way, his followers are faithful and true witnesses to what is true, even if it cost them their lives just as it cost him his life. And, uh, and so being faithful to bear witness, the understanding in Revelation is that it may cost you your life. But what is very clear in the book of Revelation, it will cost you. It costs everybody who bears witness to his truth because of the nature of the beast, who cannot tolerate truth against the lies. So, um, now just, just do a little, I want to do a little word today, so hang with me a bit, okay? So you'll see, for example, in chapter 6, verse 9, uh, when he opens the fifth seal, it's a long story, we'll get to it later, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and testimony they had maintained. That's the word for witness. Okay, and so in the midst of this book, you've got those who, who had, because of the witness they had maintained, had been slain. Next to verse, Michael. And we see them again in chapter 20. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their witness. Or here it's translated, it's the same Greek word, because of their testimony... ...of Jesus, and because of the word of God... ...they had not worshipped the beast. And so, again, for them to be faithful... ...to witness verbally... ...cost them their lives, at least in this case... ...for many believers in the book of Revelation. And uh, so the point is this... ...that faithful witness to the truth... ...always brings opposition on some level. Always. And sometimes, or occasionally to the point of death... ...which is what's going to happen here in Smyrna. For some of them it will cost them their lives... And because it exposes falsehood, exposes idolatry, exposes the foolishness of the world system, the pagan system, and all the evil of all those who follow the beast. So the message for these Christians is not okay. Listen, uh, lay down and die. Okay, they're going to come persecute you. Okay, here I'm going to die. That's not the message here. The message is not to be passive. It's not to be angry and say, you know, all you beastly followers over there, they're going to go to hell. We're not talking about having a persecution complex, like I'm being persecuted. We're not talking about that at all. What he's saying here is, you are to resist the Roman Empire and the beast of the Roman Empire and all that's behind it. You are to resist it, not by violence, but by witness to what is true. And even if it results in martyrdom, you are to resist actively the lies coming at you from every direction and you verbally witness to who, is, who God is, his truth, and his righteousness, and uh, the Christians, you're going to conquer the empire, conquer the beast, not by playing that game, but by witnessing to the truth, and thus you expose all the lies of the beast for what they are. So there's a confrontation in this book, and you've got to catch this, There's a between Christians, true followers of Jesus, and the beast. And they're in a confrontation, they're in a collision course, and the witness or testimony to Jesus and the truth can never live side by side with the lies of the beast. They are in opposition. If you compromise the truth for the beast, in this book, you're with the beast. You have followed the beast. You have the mark of the beast. And you've worshipped his image. So, next one, Michael. Chapter 11, verse 7, look at this when they had finished their testimony, or their witness, this is in chapter 11, the beast that comes up from the abyss, the abyss is hell, will attack them, and overpower them, and kill them. How do you like that? When they had finished their witness, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, and overpower them, and actually kill them, chapter 11, verse, verse 7. And it looks like the beast won. And one of the great points of the book is, you don't understand that he, the, the from heaven's perspective, this is the way that you've overcome the beast. That your very suffering for your witness to what is true is the way the beast is defeated, just like Jesus, the Lamb of God, defeated the beast by suffering and dying. In the same way, the way you will defeat The beast is not by your intellectual power, it's not by your cleverness, it's not by your buildings, it's by your suffering witness to what is true, regardless of the consequences. And thus, he didn't overpower you, you overpowered the beast. So, see it from heaven's perspective on your life. Don't look at it from an earthly perspective, it looks like the beast won. He didn't win, he lost. By killing you and you stayed faithful, he could not stop your witness to what is true. And so you'll notice in chapter 12, Michael, next one then the dragon was enraged, and the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. That's the believers in Christ. The dragon is a symbol for Satan. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, if you don't hold to the testimony of Jesus being true, don't worry about it. The dragon's not coming after you. So you're safe. But if you're going to hold to the testimony, to witness to what is true in life, you can understand there is a dragon who then releases beasts in various cultures and times of history, our pagan society that will seek to make war against you and get you to quit and crush your verbal witness and silence you and own your soul and assimilate you into the culture that your Christianity is gone. You are in effect just like the rest of everybody else. Next one, Michael. Michael. But it, you know they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. There's a famous verse many of you have read in chapter 12. How do they overcome the beast? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives as much as to shrink from death. They, there's a link of what it costs to hold to the testimony of what is true. Because understand, what Revelation exposes is that Evil cannot tolerate truth, and must come after it and eliminate it and replace it with its lies. And so, now to go back to point one, and I'll try to make an application here. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. This call is a great verse, chapter thirteen, verse ten. This calls for the endurance and faithfulness of the saints. Isn't that a great verse? When I think we think of the beast and pressure, you know what I say? You know, oh my gosh, I'm never going to make it. I barely got here in traffic this morning. This calls for the endurance and faithfulness of the saints because there is a real war on. Again, a great theme of the book. All right, Michael. And so, again, so we conquer by bearing witness to the truth over and against the lies of the beast. All right, now let's get down to earth for a minute. All right. So, so it means, let's say being courageous for what is true. ...in your field, whatever field of work you're in or life you're in. So let's say, for example, you're in real estate. Or you're in law. Or you're in medicine. Or maybe you're a teacher. Or you're a social worker. Maybe you're in business. Or maybe you're a student here this morning. Uh, maybe you're in politics. But what does it mean for you? Maybe you're at Wall Street. What does it mean for you to bear witness to the truth in that context... Over and against the lies of the beast that surrounds you. But what Revelation is talking about is be faithful even unto the point of death is that you're going to conquer by bearing witness to what is true. Wherever you are working and living on a day by day basis. Over and against the lies of the beast. And you may not get a promotion. Could you imagine? You may get a B And not an A in your class. Oh what a cost. Oh my gosh. If I ever told that professor what I really think, I'll just tell him what he wants, then you know, so I get my A and I can get to graduate school and get my PhD program. I mean, the thought of a cost for most of us is so far from reality that bear witness to the truth, we say, Well, I know they don't want to hear it, so I'm just gonna shut up because I don't want to be hassled. I could I could I could not get the promotion at work if they think I'm some fundy fanatic. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, there are people who use the truth to kind of, they create havoc because they, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, people who, who use the truth of Christianity and they create division for the sake of creating division because it gives them a sense of, of self, you know, I'm not talking about that craziness, alright? I'm talking about verbally witnessing or testifying or standing for what is true at your workplace, over and against the craziness that's going on around you of the beast. I was referring talking to someone about his publishing thing and writing and it was an amazing discussion. It was like we were playing semantics and you say, no, in my field, Pete, you don't understand, like, even though it's not true, it's true. In the whole writing business. And I said, no, but, but if it's not true, then it's not true. He goes, no, I know it's not true, but it, it is true in this. And we went back and forth for a while. It was, it was a believer. But I said, yeah, I'm saying to myself, no, no, you don't understand. You, you, you've been consumed by the lies of the beast. If it's a lie, it's a lie. And it's not true. And, uh, but some of us, let's be honest, some of us at work or in our families or in our neighborhoods, we're afraid to even admit that we're a Christian. And, cause all, what they're gonna do, they're gonna say, sure. You know, they might think you're a jerk. And that alone is enough. Be faithful unto death. We don't even want anybody to think badly of us. So the thought of like someone having a negative opinion of you because of your faith in Jesus, you just, you silence. The beast that shuts you down, let alone take your life, where you going Sunday? i in a church. I mean, you know, it's like well, what, are you, what are you embarrassed about? It's like this shame. And I, this, this, this is talking to Smyrna. Be faithful even to the point of death. It's almost hilarious how far we are from that in uh, New York. I mean, I, I remember as a as a student, in graduate school, and I, I was in a class, and this fellow was a used to be a Christian, somewhat. And he was very disillusioned and angry at the church. And he went after me in this, Greek, in this class. It was a Greek class. And uh, in front of everybody, it was like 40 people in the room. He said, Hey, Pete, you believe in this Bible? Don't you? You're one of those fundamentalists. You know, he label, you love know, labeling <laughs> You know, and, you know, it says here that Paul was expecting the second coming of Jesus any day. Well, it's 2,000 years later. He's still not here. Well, Pete, what do you say to that? The Bible's wrong. Now, this guy was, you know, at this point, he was a PhD student. He was, you know, he knew the. Greek Bible inside out. I mean, I was just starting out. I knew a couple of letters and, and, uh, you know, and so, I mean, he was, he, he could, he could, you know, cut me up to pieces on the room and, and, uh, it was a very difficult time to, to verbally witness and look like an idiot. And then he'd come after me every lunchtime. He'd come after me, sit at my table, you know, and he'd just come after me, you. Yeah, Pete. You know, and he had you know, like, he had a mission, you know, somehow I'm going to get Skazaro off of this, you know, this faith thing. But, uh, as you know, if you stand for what is true, those moments come and your life. Where it's like as long as they have a mission to, to to seduce you away or shame you away from verbally witnessing the truth, at least to shut you up that you're a non-issue anymore. Because you understand the pressure and the power of the beast, not just in the Roman Empire, and all of history. That if you will stand, there is a price to pay. I mean, there's certain biblical positions, and I, I am not by any means um, uh know, in favor of people who bomb abortion cl- clinics or who, who, who oppress ho- the homosexual community by any means. I think that's horrific. And we used to be the first ones defending the civil rights of everybody in our culture as the Church of Jesus Christ. But to say that, you no, know, we believe that that marriage is meant to be between one male and one female. And that's God's position. And I don't mean to be thrashing on people who've made certain decisions, but this is, this is God's position, that marriage is between one male and one female. Or, A pro-life ethic from, to me, from, from the, from the cradle, from the woman's pregnancy to the end of life, euthanasia to racism to oppression, that we stand for what is true. Regardless of what the winds of the culture are, I'm not a Democrat, Republican, I'm just, I'm a Christian, and I hold my witness to what is true in life, regardless of where it falls on the political spectrum through, through my life, which will change through our lives. And, uh, how I feel about sexuality, you know, and that, no, we believe it's, it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful, glorious thing that was made within the framework of marriage. And so, yeah, we say to young people and single people, we know it's extremely difficult. But that this is God's position because He loves you and wants the best for you, and we stand for that even though it's difficult. And we don't have, we don't have all the answers. But we do witness to what is true in a culture that is sliding and saying these things are irrelevant and untrue. And there is pressure as we go on. But we're talking about integrity here. We conquer by bearing witness to what is true even when it's not convenient. And you can rest assured, it is not convenient. Now, I'm not asking you to be a basher of people. We don't need that. But we're talking about being a faithful witness to what is true. Every Christian may not die, but every Christian must be prepared to be put to death for truth and for integrity. That's the point of this text. And and so in doing so, we play an indispensable part in Christ's victory on the earth one of the great themes of this book, it's amazing, that the way that Jesus' victory in the world takes effect is through our faithful discipleship. got to hear this. In particular, through your faithful, verbal witness to what is true. And in, some, in paying a price for that, that is the way, as the Lamb of God died, we follow the Lamb, and in a sense, we die too. We die to that promotion. We die to that person liking us. We die to maybe not getting that A in that course like we expected. And we die for our verbal witness. And it says in Revelation, that is the way the kingdom expands. It is not the way the world thinks. It is not by making Constantine, the emperor, making it a Christian empire. That almost destroyed Christianity. It was by Christians faithfully, verbally witnessing to what is true. And uh, all right. And so to die and to suffer is not to be a victim of the beast. It is to win. It's the opposite of the world's perspective. And, uh, again, he can a beast can kill you, but he can never, ever suppress your witness to what is true. And that's number one. Okay. All right, number two. Now, he says we conquer by bearing witness. The second is that we conquer by being faithful and in suffering. Now, once again, look at this. Look at verse uh, verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death. What does that mean in the United States? You know what? You know what's really heavy? I recognize that for some of you, you suffered mightily to get here this morning. It was daylight savings time. We gained an hour. We barely got here. I mean, some of you you think it's second service right now. (laughs) It's first service, all right? It is first service. Now, Now, he's saying be faithful even to the point of death, that we conquer by being faithful. But do you realize that for many, many believers in America today, we think we've been heroic because we got up on Sunday and came to church. Do you realize we think we've done a phenomenal thing? Because we're not at the beach. We're not at the mall. We're not doing our lawn. We actually sacrifice so much And we got up, and we came to church. Or, you know, on Saturday night, we actually went to bed, you know, a decent hour, thinking we're going to come and worship the next day. We have, we have, we have been faithful to death. But let's be honest. Because we live in a culture that's so driven by comfort. Comfort is such a a, a value. It's such a god of the beast. It comes us from every direction. That the thought of any kind of inconvenience, we feel like I have given up so much for God. I have suffered so much. Everybody, back there's, there's, is there still. And if it's a rainy day, oh my gosh, oh my God, if I sleep. And look at me, I'm in the rain on the bus, on the train, I'm drunk and a ch- Oh God, I mean that kind of faithfulness is just. I mean, really, I mean, I, people tell me all the time, you don't know. I mean, how about parking? If i not in a parking, oh, I can't. I couldn't find a park. I went home, walked three blocks, four blocks. My gosh. I, I, knew a woman many years ago, in the early days of New Life, and, uh, she worked at an abortion clinic. And she was a believer. And she was so conflicted. Um, and she needed the money. Desperately. Yet she was work- and the money was really good at the abortion clinic. It was, they make good money at abortion clinics. And she was so conflicted. And, uh, she struggled. For months, I remember her coming, you know, and, and uh, eventually she just gave up. It was just too much pressure. I mean, just, the beast swallowed her. I don't know where she is today, but she just got swallowed. The pressure of money, because the thought of not having that job, and where would it leave her? And understand, the church at Smyrna was in poverty because of their verbal witness and faithfulness to the faith. There was an economic, a major economic component to it. Could you imagine economically being affected by our faith in Jesus? I think we would lose a lot of people. You know, I don't want to smash her. I mean, I, you know, I I think of her, the struggle, and I really, you know, I'm always in her position. She was struggling with a number of things financially. But how many of us have been have been seduced by advertising and are overloaded with so much debt that we are working overtime, overtime to get ourselves out of the hole because we got seduced by the voice of the beast about what is really life about? So before we smash that woman who took the, you know, struggling with the abortion clinic, we had to look at ourselves and say, in what ways have I been have I been conquered? Versus being faithful will say, you know what, this, I'm gonna live a simple life, a clean life, a pure life, have 20-20 vision of what life's all about, and not get seduced here. I mean, how many of us to be faithful into our parental, our parents have expectations of us, for some of us, and our cultures, and, uh, we struggle with, with, with disappointing our parents. I mean, I don't, how about disappointing your spouse? Because I, I don't, if I follow any wholeheartedly, my spouse will be so mad at me. Or my parents. We'll just go off, off the deep end. And so I'm gonna pull back. You know, I think the biggest challenge for us in America, you know, the American dreams, the, it, the American dream is riches and wealth. I mean, that's, that's why everyone in the world wants to come to America. And that we watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And, and wealth is, is lots of money. Who is rich? Now Jesus cuts through this and says in verse 9, you're rich, you're poor, you're rich! Could you imagine? It's not the lifestyle of the rich and famous who are rich. No, you're rich. Those who are being faithful to Jesus. You are rich. You are the richest people on the planet. Uh, The the beast says I'm poor. Uh, No, no, you're rich. You gotta hear this. You're rich. Don't listen to those lies of the beast. And those who think they're rich are poor. They may have hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're in poverty. You know, I, I think if you know, and and at youth, I was reading an article about youth that youth base their status on clothes and money, right? The sneakers I'm wearing, the clothes I'm wearing—that's a lie. They—they they bought into a lie from the beast. That's not who you are. Your clothes and your money—that's poverty. It's a lie. But making decisions, I'm going to make decisions for my life not based on money, I mean, where I live, how I tent make, not what the beast thinks is important. I base my life on Jesus and what He says is true. And I'm gonna live in the truth. I'm gonna conquer by being faithful. What does that look like? I'm gonna be look, go after the truth in my life, in my family's life, and deny the sinful parts of myself, and I'm gonna, by God's grace, suffer in that process, so God can change me. But that's being faithful. To look at your stuff, honestly, not live in denial, not medicate, go after it, being a repentant, honest person, letting God change you, that's being faithful unto death. Cause you know what? It's a dying process, to be honest. It's a killer. All right. I can go on. All right. Go to this text again. Look back. Oh, yeah. Michael, go to the next thing. As I was wrestling with this, I I just came back to spiritual disciplines as resistance and faithfulness in our culture. So you realize everything in our culture says the heck with spiritual disciplines. This is a list from Richard Foster's one of his books, Celebration of Discipline. I forget which one it's from. I adapted it a little bit. But uh, these are disciplines that believers—we're we're saved by grace. Salvation is a free gift. But there are disciplines that we engage in so we can grow up in Christ. And here's a little list. And I love the list because they are—I I think they are—I believe very much in my heart of hearts. There is no way you can resist the beast on an hour and a half church on Sunday morning. There is no way that we all need, that we all are called to be followers of Jesus, and thus we, we are disciplined, one disciples. And we have these disciplines in our life. And he divides them up in disciplines of abstinence. You know, solitude, getting quiet. Our culture has so much noise. I'm going to find quiet solitude in my life. And silence. And then fasting. We're talking about fasting a meal or a day, you know, one day a week in November. You know, disciplines of of simplicity. How I handle my money and things like tithing and offering. It's a discipline. So I don't let this thing get a hold of me. Chastity, sexual purity of what I look at and from pornography to the kinds of scenes in certain movies and to sacrifice. It's a discipline. So I don't buy into the beast. Then there's disciplines of engagement. I study. I mean, I, I, mean, I love this thing in our bullets in that blue sheet of all these equipping classes. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we want to call people to study, get in classes, get in the Word, get in your small groups, get in your communities. But we've got to be a people who study the Word. So we get what's true and what's not true. We worship, as we're doing here this morning. We celebrate God. We, we serve. I'm going to serve in nursery. I'm going to serve in cleaning. I'm going to serve in hospitality. I'm going to pray. It's a discipline. Who feels like praying? The beast says, why pray? God's not answering your prayers. And by the fact that you have your time alone with God in prayer, you have your time in Bible study, your fellowship and confession submission, you're, you're resisting saying, the Lord is on the throne. This is what life is all about. It is not the busyness and craziness and noise the culture is telling me what life is all about. And so the spiritual disciplines are, 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 are resisting and are being faithful to Christ in our culture. But this is what it takes to resist the lies of the beast coming at you in every, in every, in every corner and be faithful unto death. But it is a death to, to engage this as a lifestyle. It's a death. To the comforts and conveniences of our culture. Who feels like fasting? I mean, you know. But the, now... Let me close with this. The motivation. So, so, so when you see that list of classes and equipment, you want to say, okay, this is part of my resistance to the beast and being faithful to death. Let me get in that habits class or that book of Acts thing of how do I learn to study the Bible and feed myself you know, from scripture. In fact, sign up is, I believe, after church. You want to get in that. But, but, the, but the motivation of this text is this. Look at verse 8. He's going to motivate the Smyrna. and says, listen, Jesus is alive. He who died and came to life again. And then he closes it by saying, verse 11, He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the, by the second death. He's saying this. There's a first death and there's a second death. He says, listen, Christians, the first death, don't worry about it. It's not important. They can kill your body, but not your soul. The second death is the one the devil can't touch. And that's the really important one. That's the one when you stand before God and the second death refers to the lake of fire and hell. He goes. He who conquers, who is, who bears witness faithfully, who is faithful even in suffering, that person will not be hurt by the second death. Hell will never touch you. You will live forever. Jesus is alive. He's on the throne, and you're rich. And he motivates them to be faithful unto death, to bear witness to the truth over against the lies of the beast. Because verse eleven, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And he says, there's only two options. Either you're going to conquer and inherit the promise of life or you are going to suffer the second death in a lake of fire. And that is clearly how he lays it out. But the call is for us to conquer. And he says there are only two options. All right, such suffering. Oh, oh, Pete, oh no. And let me close with this. Oh gosh, forget closing with this. It's going to be for a limited time. It's a limited testing. You'll notice, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. You'll be in prison for ten... You'll be tested for ten days. And testing is the way God's going to make you a servant. He's going to grow you. It's going to be limited. God's on the throne. It's for your good. God's glory. Other people's good. And what I have to do right now... I want to invite the worship team to come on forward. For this reason, Christians in the first century... The first 300 years... They laughed at the prospect of death. Because they understood the second death. They said, you know what? Kill me! But I will bear witness to what is true... I will be faithful even unto death and do your worst because when you kill me, you are simply planting me and I'm going to be like going into the ground and I'm coming up a resurrected tree. And so I do have no fear. All right. Yeah, Michael, put up the two, two, the two points. We conquer by bearing witness to the truth over against the lies of the beast. And then number two, we conquer by being faithful and suffering. Amen. Let's all stand together. Close your eyes with me for just a moment. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Romans 8 Father, this text of the church in Smyrna is so far removed from our present-day reality in America in 2002, but Lord, we all can relate to this call to bear witness to what is true over and against the lies of the beast and to be faithful to you. So I pray, Father, right now, I pray for all of us in this room to have heaven's perspective, to see things not from the earth, but from heaven. That Jesus, you're alive and you're on the throne and things are not as they appear to be. And those who are rich are often very poor. And those who are sometimes poor are often very rich. And Lord, I ask you to give us 20-20 vision. To see life as you see it. Because, Jesus, you are the resurrected one sitting on the throne. And we love you. And we bless you. I invite you to sing with me this great song, I Believe in You, that you're the rock of my salvation. Let's make this our confession corporately this morning. You are the rock of my salvation. You are the strength of my life. You are my hope and my inspiration. Lord, unto you will I cry. I believe ta